In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' big but frustrating win over the Cleveland Cavaliers, give updated impressions on Jalen McDaniels during his short Sixers tenure so far, and go over whether or not Dwayne Dedman can solve the Sixers' backup center problems. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Hey, doing, Rich? The quote-unquote midway point of the season. It's nice. It's nice to have a break at really the two-thirds yeah. mark of the season. But uh, I'm doing great, man. We have a a week off. Uh, I know as we talk about off air a lot, we are not going to the All Star Game no. this time in beautiful Salt Lake City. But we. <laughs> Salt Lake City is there. beautiful. I will push back on that if that was sarcasm. No, no, I actually agree. I, I told you about this a couple episodes ago. It's it's a cool city in that it's got the downtown. It's almost like, I don't know, half of Center City, Philadelphia. Obviously, the buildings aren't as big and all those things. But it's just wild how it's surrounded by mountains, like, right there. Yeah. And, yeah. like, pretty mountains. Like, like I don't white, think the city snow, is necessarily good. one that I would love. Although, I will say, like... I'm I'm big on like a drivability score. Uh, and when I was there, I rented a car because that is something that I tend to do. Uh, and being able to like just drive anywhere or like you're at the arena and like five blocks downtown, you're like in the middle of like residential homes. It's very weird as an East Coast yeah. person. Uh, the, the center city downtown area is just not the same when you get outside of the East Coast. But it seems like a livable city. I'm not sure I would want to live there long term, but I love going through it. It's very beautiful. I don't think I'd want to live there long term either, but yes, I I agree. It's it's a nice nice city. Uh, that said, we're not going, and it has nothing to do with Salt Lake City. It has to do with the All Star Game is terrible. The event yeah. to cover is terrible, and it's just a nice break for all of us in the middle of the season. Also, Joel Mead might not even be going. Uh, he put some doubt on that there last night when he talked about how he needs to get his foot right. Which, quite honestly, and I think some people come up with injuries so they don't have to play in the All Star Game. I think Joe's might be pretty legitimate. Like we've been talking for a long time. Like, hey, that foot looks pretty bad. I'm not sure it's gonna if it's gonna get better playing on it night in and night out. Is it gonna magically get better here with a week off? Probably not, but it still might be the right thing to do. Uh, so it looks like Joe may or may not play. He said he will figure that out in the coming days. He pretty much has to because the All Star Game's on Sunday. But imagine if we were going out there and Harden's not playing, Joel ends up not playing. There's nothing to cover. In a bad event, anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, not. I'm not missing you still it. Have, you still have two way player Mac McClung. Read my story on the athletic. <laughs> That's true. That's the, true. Uh, yeah, it's go read Rich's uh, feature on 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 Mac there at theathletic.com slash Sixers. So, yeah, there's just not a lot of Sixers based people going on. Maxi has graduated out of the the Rising Stars game, which, by the way, the Rising Stars game is even worse than the All Star game. Like the yeah. the first two years, guys, you would think they'd be anxious and ready to play no i think they try and take it even cooler than yeah. the uh you know than the actual all-stars which many of them at become in a few years it's uh look i just i, I don't i don't really like all-star weekend i i think i've made that clear i uh i am a curmudgeon in that way but yeah there's just not a ton of six year stuff going on uh to your point it might, on it might be different like I, i'm honestly interested if like there are a lot of fans who love it because i think for us it's like a little bit of a downtime, a little break, caught up on some personal things. 
the basketball isn't good. Uh, How could you event, love it? The event isn't good to cover. Like, you don't get good access. Like, a whole bunch of reasons as a journalist is probably not interesting. I wonder if fans, like, you know, you can get into some stuff. The dunk contest used to be fun until they changed the rules every other year. The three-point contest, I think, is fun. It's the game that I just find really bad. <laughs> when I was a kid, specifically the three-point contest and the dunk contest, yeah, that that's fun. Like, that's legit. And honestly, maybe if I wasn't, you know, a curmudgeon now, it would still be fun. I, I also think a lot of people would argue the quality of those events, including or especially the dunk contest, dunk, yeah. have yeah. Uh, have fallen. I mean, I you know, in fairness to the NBA. Also, Nate Robinson still has me bitter. All these years later, I am still bitter about Nate Robinson running it. Robbery. Robbery of Iguodala. Getting to do 85 dunk attempts, Nate Robinson. Uh, it was so bad. Um, Iggy deserved that one for sure. And that was when it was still pretty good. So, you know, I, I think part of it with the dunk contest is just the top guys don't do it anymore. And yeah. I think I get on, I don't get on LeBron about a lot of things. For him to not do it once in his career, kind of lame. Come on, man. Do it one time. Are you saying Max not bringing the same kind of juice to the event? Not not, not as quite as much as LeBron. Max got to do his best, but uh, yeah, not not as much. I And to your point on Embiid, you know, he says the dot, and he does tend to embellish these things, but he did say the doctor told him the best thing to do would be to take two weeks off. Well, he's played in 17 of the Sixers' last 18 games. Yeah. And yeah. he looked like a guy at the end of that Cleveland game who was running on fumes. Yeah. So I guess we will start off sort of there with the Cleveland game. We'll probably have another podcast over the weekend that's maybe taking a, a bit of a step back. Also, if you have any questions, send us an email, mailbag at sixersbeat.com. We can take a couple of mailbag questions because we do have some time off here. But it really did strike me, you know, because that, that Cleveland win, their fourth win in a row, they've now won something like, I think it's 13 out of 16. A important win because Cleveland came into the game only one game back of the Sixers for that race for the three seed. Cleveland is a good team. They have been playing well. They're tough to guard on the perimeter. Because of their two guards, they have, I think, coming in the number one ranked defense in the league or very they're, high up there. They were third on cleaning the glass, okay. but they're they're up there. They, they which, are one of the elite defenses, yep, for sure. Which I think gets overlooked in part because they have those two uh, electric guards. And these Sixers won an important game. And they just keep winning a lot of games. And <laughs> the way it ended, and look, Doc Rivers was sort of on our side rarely but he you know he was asked like what was Akita holding on there and he's like well the, the clock ran out and like he was not very confident with the way and I tweeted something out you know with a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter where it's like you're just kind of doing the math like all right they're, they're up by 11 there's this many possessions left like can they really blow this it very much felt like that kind of a win and they certainly have their share of those wins you know some of their games here of late the Knicks game the Celtics game which was real bad even the wins over the Knicks and Nets weren't necessarily well-played games. The those Rockets the barely count. Those were the the Knicks-Nets wins. Those were the opposite. They were asleep yeah. at the beginning, yep. and then the fourth quarter they decided to try. And it's been a little while since they put a complete effort together. But I still, it's tough for me to really, like, I, I was thinking about last night's game, and it's like, are we being a little too harsh on them? 
because it is still a really good team they beat. They win a lot of these games. It's just when you walk away from it, a lot of times you feel unsatisfied with the effort. And I don't know whether or not it is just because we live with this team and their faults day in and day out, whether we would have this with every team that hasn't won a championship, or if this team is just so frustrating that it's inevitable. I truthfully like it, walking away from that win. Again, a six-point win over a good team that you really needed was a little more unsatisfying than I think I would have expected. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's what I thought, too, because I think a lot of people would push back and say, hey, come on, don't be so emotional about this. Did, did they beat the team that had just won seven games in a row that has this crazy good point differential that is on your heels in the uh, Eastern Conference playoff race that you lost by 800 points to? Now, admittedly, without Maxi and Harden earlier in the year. Yeah, they did. They did. And I thought their first half was like really good. That's really good stuff, yeah. man. They were they were awesome on both ends of the court. Uh and frankly, they didn't even need Embiid to be crazy good. Yeah. Because James Harden was the best dude in the floor by a yep. lot, I thought. And uh I don't know, good he was physically doing it too. Yeah, the two the two drives on Mobley where and I've mentioned this on the pod before. We've kind of talked about it. The move he always, when he's blowing by people, it's between the legs left, crossover right, and man, he got Mobley, who is, you know, Evan Mobley, I'm not sure what type of offensive player he's going to be. It was termed to me like, is he Chris Bosh or is he Jaron Jackson Jr.? By the way, good outcomes for Cleveland on either of those. Yeah, both really good players. Two are awesome players. But, you know, is the offense going to come along where he can be, you know, a true franchise cornerstone instead of just, you know, second, third option, probably a third option, honestly. Uh, and that's to be determined because I thought he was pretty bad offensively last night for most of the game. Sixers stopped trying. He started to get some easy points. But he's a really good defensive player. He's long. He's got excellent instincts. And Harden blew by him a couple of times like he wasn't even there. And that's an awesome sign. Like, that's. If we go back to our October pods, it's what's this guy's burst look like? Is is he able to physically do it one-on-one? And I think the, the more we watch it this year, it's like there have been stretches where that hasn't been the case. Like yep. he just he hasn't been getting by guys one-on-one. But at the beginning of the year, and then in some of these recent games, okay. Like he looked like he had the Jets in, in a couple of those. So, you know, his passing was excellent. I think the Sixers shot, what they shoot, like 13 of 25 from beyond the arc last night, I think. That's a high number, but we talked about this. The makes the sub- are a high number. Huh? The, the makes are a high number. The attempts the per- aren't necessarily high The percentage number. is a high yeah, number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Uh, that said, I thought those shots were practice shots, most yeah. of them. And it was very similar to what Boston did to the Sixers a couple weeks ago, where, yes, they shot a high percentage. They're going to shoot a pretty high percentage on those. And a lot of that was that James Harden was dusting dudes off the dribble, yep. whether it was in pick and roll and that's a great sign. So it's like, that's another thing, too, because he's part of, you know, they fall asleep in the second half. And and he is certainly culpable for that. Like, you would just wish as a team, after being up by 25 points in the first half, the starting lineup, which basically blew that game open from the beginning, would say, hey, let's play hard for like eight Give minutes. Give me six more minutes and we can all go to, yep. Let, let's play, let's play hard. Let's either tie them or even like. What, what what if we even advance the lead five points, you know? But like, just tie them, just just waste time, and they just don't do it. They just don't do it. It gave up slow. seventy four points in the second half, 
And then in the fourth quarter, they start fouling, like yeah. Jalen McDaniels. I think the we kind of saw, you know, that he he was not necessarily the answer. I mean, he got absolutely torched by Darius Garland a few times. Paul Reed was fouling. Joel was fouling. It was they gave up a ton of points, and it got to the point where they screwed around so much, and it was so predictable that Mobley had a floater with or a hook shot with like 50 seconds left. If that goes in, and it was a good look, I bet you it was about a 50% look. If that goes in, that is a two-point game with 50 yeah. seconds left. And it's just like they screw around at just an unbelievable degree. And and you see the level of focus and how hard they were trying in the first half. Yeah. It's like, what? why is that impossible to do in a third no, quarter? Not but only they can't did do they out-execute them in the first half, they outworked them. They out-hustled yes. them. They're getting floorboards and putbacks and all these things that like we very rarely see. They were winning the effort battle, and then it just gone. I think that's a good way to put it, too, right? If they outwork a team, if they are like even with a team on the hustle stats and all those things, they're probably going to win. They're more talented. And win comfortably against almost every team in the league. Yeah. <laughs> I know that that's a good team and and letting them come back was was bad but I mean you mentioned the stats on the other hand like they they don't lose a lot they haven't lost a lot since a while ago since Harden uh, came back you know so at some point you look up and what are they 38 and 19 now yeah they're winning two thirds of their yeah. basketball games like you said and last yet, pod 40 20. They find a way to make it somewhat unsatisfying. I don't. Yeah. I don't understand it. I wonder if we're being too hard on him, but it is reality. I, it, it is a feeling that I have inside my head. So, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's and I guess if you're going to like try to find the optimist, because I, I think that the more I sort of got away from that game, the more you could see the, op, the optimistic points, like Harden getting into the paint. Good things are going to happen when he gets. Beats his man off the dribble, especially when you have a team full of pretty good spot up shooters. I think the Sixers are right towards the top in terms of spot up catch and shoot three point percentage. When Harden is able to create those looks, they're going to put up a lot of points. And when you project that and say, all right, Harden right now, at least we'll see if it continues through us the regular season in the playoffs right now looks better athletically than he did last year, for sure. Better athletically than he looked at the beginning of the season. He looks like he is sort of rounding into having a little more burst. If you combine that with in the defense, you would hope that these frustrating moments where they just don't give a shit go away or at least diminish. Well, that's a pretty good indication. That's that's a, a good sign of their playoff chances. It's just you, you I don't would, you would hope they try in the playoffs. The whole yes. Time. And I don't know. They're just like when when they're bad, they're it's one thing to like miss shots or struggle or even go through mental lapses. But when they're bad, they are just infuriating the watch, but they're good enough where they make up for it. Two thirds of the time. It's it's a really strange team to cover. They win games. It's uh, it's crazy. And I'll even go. There are other positives to take from that, uh, from last night's game. And I would say over the past couple weeks, over the past couple weeks, the marathon man looks like he's playing better. Yeah, he, he is playing. Yeah, he's looking a little more like the guy we thought they were signing, for sure. That's really important, you know, huge, and huge. and he's been a part of some some kind of monster runs from that first unit. Especially if you now have Jalen McDaniels, who maybe you trust a little more to play, especially now if you have 
B-Ball Paul in that backup center spot instead of Montrez Harrell. And we'll get to that spot in a minute. But all of a sudden, some of your defensive shortcomings, you're covering them up a little bit. I'm not completely bought into this team defensively, but if those two things are true, where you can play McDaniels more than you're comfortable playing Thibault, and you will play Reed rather than Trez, it helps. doesn't solve, but it helps. And yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. No, it's it's true though. I mean, and McDaniel's I look, he he struggled in the second half defensively. Everybody on the Sixers struggled in the second half yep. defensively. So I'm not singling he, him out he, too he much. He seems a little bit like uh Melton where you know, he's real helpful as a team defender. He can get blown up by some screens though. And the Sixers really don't have very many players who can comfortably navigate and fight through screens. It's perhaps their biggest weakness even above uh denying durable penetration. But he seems a little bit like Melton uh in that regard. Yeah, and you, you kind of wish he would just play off guys because he is so long, He's, man. Yeah, he recovers very well. He can, he he should almost play like the Iguodala type defense where you you give the guy some space and you just catch him with your length. Uh, he's even longer than Iguodala is. Obviously, I don't think he has the instincts or, or the strength that Andre did. No, but like he's got some tools to be a very helpful both help and on ball defender. Uh, I certainly want to see him play more, even with the. Uh, the struggles last night, you know, Tobias makes his catch and shoot threes, which is important in last night's game. And I honestly just think just winning a game where Joel was not that good is a good sign. And it's, it's tough. Like they, they continue to win these games and some of them are against good teams. So I, you know, at some point I, I know the, uh, I looked at the 538 model today, and they are projected to finish as the same record as the uh, as the Cavs. I think part of that is that their point differential is not elite. Like the Cavs have a much better point differential than the Sixers, in part because the Sixers screw around so much, and in part because the Sixers have a brutal march coming yep. up here. That said, like I I don't know. I, I think they're going to handle it fine. They, they continue to win these games and. and it's kind of like we were saying, like, I'm not sure the habits are all that great that are being built. But on the other hand, it's like when they can turn it on, when they show you what that first half looks like, that's dominant. And as much as we complain, the the lapses don't come in losses all that often. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. Uh, all right. I guess we can pivot. Any other major sort of takeaways from that game? I mean, the, the turnovers at times were frustrating in the second half. They only had three in the first half, but they got a little sloppy with the ball in the second half. Uh, Joel specifically had some moments where he was not recognizing those double teams. The fouling was perplexing and maddening. Any uh, other major sort of takeaways there? Well, and that was made even more frustrating because their first half defense was excellent. Yeah. Excellent. You mentioned they were running the hustle plays. Embiid was rebounded like a madman, which is not always his favorite thing to do. He's boxing people out and, and rebounding. You had Harden making extra efforts on, on the defensive end. You know, PJ making extra efforts. You know, George even getting a couple stops here and there. It was... Yeah, I mean, George it was, did. Harden it was, was, a great, was playing really good defense for him. Yeah. It, it was a great team first half, but it just goes to show that second half was was not great. And I think you saw a little bit with Cleveland. They they got some dudes you can help off of. And, you know, it's funny that the Sixers aren't that team anymore where, you know, the guys that you help off on the Sixers, like they helped off P.J. Tucker. And P.J. Tucker looks like normal P.J. Tucker now. 
that's a mistake. If, if you're going to give him practice level open threes from the corner, if he's his normal, normal self, yeah. those are going in. So it's weird. It's weird that the Sixers are the better team have 10 that, seconds left on the shot clock. Cause it takes them a little bit, but it does it's going in. Yeah. Um, for them to have the spacing, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing really else except, uh, I, I, that first half, and, and I guess that's the final takeaway for me, is that first half, as frustrating as the second half and the lack of focus and like clockwork, a 25-point lead, it's like, let's let's <laughs> stop amazing. doing what we were doing. I think that, it, should, that should give you some hope moving forward. That was really high level. They had it them. like, you know, 25 points at halftime. I think Cleveland trimmed it to 12 at one point in the third quarter, but then they bounced back, pushed the 17 by the end of the third. You thought, all right. Well, they, they got that out of their system. Maybe it'll be clear sailing for me. Nope. Nope. Got it. Cleveland got it down to what? I think four there towards the end had a chance to get it even lower, but they held on. They held on. All right. Any, uh, any sort of updated thoughts on Jalen McDaniels here? Now that we've had a few more games to watch him since the last time we talked. I, I, I like him. You know, again, it's a, it's a bit role. I like that, uh, he seems to be kind of uh, the Jumaine Jones to uh, to Dox Larry Brown, where after that is a fantastic pull there. Yeah, Good job. after timeout plays, seems like they like to set him up for lobs against switching defenses, which is which is good. I think you know again, not quite think, the arc on his shot that Jumaine had. That was a moon ball. No, uh, and you saw he missed a couple, but you know, like he he had a, a drive against Houston where. When you compare him to Thibel, by the way, Thibel, good for him for his, what do you make, five threes in that first game? I think it was four. I think it was four for six. Okay. And that was the topic that led Sixers Reddit and all of these other things. Uh, he scored two points the next night in yeah. 30 minutes. No, he so. didn't. Like, I, we, can, we can get on Doc for some of the decisions he makes. Uh, Matisse Thibel's inability to make a wide open, like, like you say, check the win corner three. That's not... That's not Doc's fault. Yeah. So, and I, I would say McDaniels in comparison to him, and I'm not even saying McDaniels is a better player than Thibel. I think go back to the uh, the trade deadline pod for our full thoughts on that. He is a more conventional player, though. He certainly, he had a couple drives against Houston where you're just like, hmm? Thibel is not making that play in the open yeah. court. Like he's he's putting like three and four dribble moves together, which you just don't see <laughs> no. quite quite as much. Uh, and I guess one other thought from the game now that I'm thinking about too, I thought Tobias did a good job on Mitchell early on in, in the second half. But when you have Tobias and McDaniels now, McDaniels is the other element of this, you know, teams with small guards, the Sixers are going to have to play some yeah. of these bigger wings against them. That could be hard. Like Donovan mm -hmm. Mitchell is quicker than those guys. He's really good. But if the Sixers are locked in defensively, like you can see some stretches like you saw in the first half where it's like, oh shit, they're long. Like that's, yeah. it's not easy to play against, even if he does have a little bit of a quickness advantage. And I thought even Garland, who who lit up McDaniels too, like some of those shots were really hard. Darius yeah. Garland is both a really good player and was on fire last night. So uh, I like him. I, I would continue to play him 15 to 20 minutes. I, I think I would like to see him in more of a switching scheme, like I, I, I mm -hmm. would really like to see get PJ out there at center and see what that looks like yep. now. Now that you have McDaniel's, yep. Uh, it, it's it's more and I would stagger say, and beat and Harden, so you can put Harden in a switching scheme and see whether or not you can overcome his defense for a couple minutes a game. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I like what he he does now. 
some of the reasons I like him is that he lets the other players, you know, he unlocks lineups that lets the other players maybe thrive a little bit more, which is a good thing. Like, look, he's a role player. But uh, yeah, I, I would say my early impressions on him is that he's he's been off to a pretty good start. I, I've been, he's probably exceeded my expectations a little yeah. bit, but it's still the early going, I, I would say. I would agree. I think he has certainly exceeded my expectations. Not numbers, because like, you know, who cares? If, like, like you mentioned with Thibel, like you come out, you make a couple threes. That shouldn't change an evaluation. It's just one game, one week, mm-hmm. even one month. I do think he's done a good job of playing within his role. And if you go back and listen to our podcast uh, immediately after the trade, him sort of shedding those bad habits that he had with the Hornets and playing a more conventional role with fewer mistakes and fewer bad shots was what I thought was the key. And I think so far he's done that perfectly well. You know, it does seem like he is uh, able to thrive in the role that they currently have him in, and he's willing to accept that. And if that's the case, then I think the, you know, he will be a slightly better, slightly more willing shooter with Thibel who can put the floor on the ball, floor on the ball, ball on the floor, certainly better than Thibel, and that should make him playable. And even if his defense is only 80, 85, 90%, whatever percent you want to put him at of Thibel's, the fact that you can put him on the court for 20 minutes in the, in the playoffs would be massive. And so far, I think if mindset was my major concern, I think he has uh, not, I don't want to say quelled those because yeah, that has to be an extended period of play. But certainly the first indications are more positive than I maybe gave him credit for. And if that's the case, then I like the trade significantly more. Yeah, he, he certainly looks the part of somebody who, our main question, can you go from playing nonsense ball to a team that plays nonsense ball half the time, but they, they, they play it in their own way though. A team that even when they, <laughs> they play, play nonsense, nonsense ball, but they still expect the win. Yes. They play nonsense ball, but they better have more points than the other team at the end of the game. And I think he has fit into that <laughs> culture, that dynamic pretty well. I, I like what I've seen. That is a, a really good way to tie the two segments of the podcast together so far. Props. Props to you. All right, third segment here. The Sixers signed Dwayne Dedman to a rest-of-the-season contract, finally using up that 15th roster spot, using up a little less than half of the remaining room that they have under the luxury tax, which, again, props to Josh Harris for accomplishing that goal. <laughs> he had... <laughs> I don't... Look, I, all right, whatever. He has not played so far. He has been with the team for... Yesterday was the first game that he was officially with the team correct uh so we've had one game here where he has been on the roster and doc has continued to play b-ball paul i guess two questions first what do you think of the signing i'm not expecting your evaluation to change too much when you called him i think he's dead man yes and do you think doc is going to use him correctly i think the signing is bad i I would rather them i mean so so doc mentioned during the game that he at least gives the Sixers a bigger body. He does. Okay. He's, he's, and we saw him in the locker room. He's, he's a big dude. He big is dude. a big guy. Maybe there is one matchup where that matters. You know, maybe they, Milwaukee. they, they run into Milwaukee and that team is just pummeling the Sixers on the boards. Okay. Maybe he just becomes necessary because Paul Reed and Montres Harold just, just don't cut it. That said, I don't think he's even in close to the same class of player as Paul Reed is. He's just, he's just not as good. I mean, Derek, have you seen his numbers this year? 
You're going to go to on-off numbers now? Yes. He's like negative 11 or negative 13 or something like that. Negative 13. He's 15 points worse when he plays Miami. And he, as we saw last night, he like flipped over a table. That was like the last thing he did when he played. What, what, what was the thing? The, the Theragun yeah. flew onto the yep. floor? I mean. I think I, if, you, if you lip read Spoh's reaction, I think he called him a bleeping baby. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's Miami Heat basketball where they get into in arguments a Oh, lot. yeah, Jimmy Butler's, like, ready to kill him, but that's fine because he's Jimmy Butler. You can get away with that. Mm-hmm. You can't win your Dwayne Dedman. No. I will say, pretty strong dude, though, to knock over that table and that report just flew on the floor. I mean, that was like a tennis ball almost, like, <laughs> flying on the floor. So definitely has some strength as a positive. But, yeah, in, in most matchups, he should not play. In, in almost all of them. I, Paul Reed is better. Paul Reed, as we saw, I guess we didn't talk about this from the Cavs game. He's playing well. And, and at least, B-Ball Paul, not, not a perfect player by any means. Certainly not a perfect offensive player. He had a, a bad turnover trying to get the ball from, from A to B in last night's game. He just does positive things on the court. Yeah. And Dwayne Dedman, I'm not sure what the positive thing he's going to do is. So is that going to use him? I think a little bit. Yeah, I do. So... So I guess we, we can go over some of the positives real quickly. He's a good rebounder, especially defensively. Now, part of that's because when he's defending the pick and roll, he completely sells out. Plays in the drop, immediately goes to box out his man, which, again, good. But if you look at his, his synergy numbers on pick and rolls, he's one of the worst defensive bigs defending pick and rolls, which, of course... Of, of course. I, I actually think some of those numbers might be a little deceiving. Like, he has played a few enough minutes where... Those kind of numbers, the on-off numbers, might not be truly representative, but he certainly gives up a lot of ground in a drop, in part because his one real skill defensively is protecting the rim, so you want to make sure he is in that spot, in part because he wants to be there for a defensive rebound, and in part because he just doesn't move his feet all that well in the perimeter. So it's a combination of those three. So he will at least help out a little bit on the defensive glass if they can force a miss. We'll see. He does still sort of protect the rim a little bit, but again, it comes at the expense of defending outside the paint. And he's aggressive as a dive man, I guess is the way I would describe it. Now, is that a positive? No, he's not really all that skilled. Like his hands are better than Nerland's, but that might be the extent of the praise I can give him there. And he just takes some wild shots. So like, do you ever want to really utilize him? No, not really, but that's sort of what he is. It made a lot more sense back when his three-point shot was reliable, and at least you can get defensive rebounding, rim protection, and floor spacing, but nobody's really guarding him on the perimeter anymore. He shot, I think, 27% from three since he left Atlanta back in 2019. 2019 was a minute ago now. So I don't really know, like, if he can't really defend in... I mean, there's a reason a, a a playoff team that's short on depth traded him to avoid a luxury tax bill. Like, you know, w- will he make more of an impact if utilized correctly than the empty 15th roster spot? I guess. But he has to be utilized correctly. And my fear is going to be similar to what we said with DeAndre Jordan last year is that Doc will say, all right, this is my day in, day out backup big and not like this is my matchup dependent curveball we'll see we'll see 
Yeah, I don't have anything else. It it has all the makings of another disastrous Sixers backup center signing, and it's up to Doc to not play him and make it. So I think I might like him more than Trez. Is maybe the highest praise I can give him. Maybe it's just like a different kind of bad, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm interested in seeing a different kind of bad. But like it's that level of a player. It's yeah. probably worse than Trez, but he can at least rebound. I don't know. Yeah, he might be worse than Trez, but he might be a better playoff player just because the stuff Trez is so bad at is so actively Exploitable. harmful in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, I could see that. He's less, less actively harmful on defense than Trez. That's that's my full scouting report. He might be well. He certainly is more actively harmful on offense. Um. One thing I was, I was just blown away by while trying to catch up on him a little bit. He does not, like, he has, I, I almost respect the bit, but he does not believe in passing, like, period. If he catches a ball on a roll, that, that shot's going up. I don't care if he's triple teamed. I don't care if it's deflected. That ball is finding a way to go up on the rim or it's, it's turnover. It's not going to be a pass, which when you are Dwayne Dedman, you should probably be a more willing passer. So more actively harmful on offense, less actively harmful on defense than Trez. I'm open for watching another flavor of bad, but I don't have my hopes set high. And I do think that this is just one more impediment to Doc coming to the final conclusion he should have come to a year and a half ago, which is B-Ball Paul. And again, which isn't even so much that I'm a huge B-Ball Paul supporter. It's just the other guys can't, which now we've cycled through. (sighs) Paul Millsap, DeAndre Jordan. Montrez Harrell and Dwayne Dedman. Also, Doc Rivers doesn't play. The one guy who at least has a chance of playing in the playoffs. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus... Up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager i think moving forward to the playoffs the only way i see this working out is that doc has this order of operations. You have two main backup centers, Paul Reed, PJ Tucker. And if there is a matchup like Milwaukee, where it is proven that you cannot rebound at all, and that you were just getting destroyed, 
then you go to Deadman. Tre- Maybe Trez Phoenix not, in the finals. Yeah, Trez is not that person either. Uh, so go to Deadman, see if he can rebound. Again, like six, but seven it, minutes, that's it. Has you to know? be matchup dependent. Just has to be. Like My fear is that he, he goes, okay, Dwayne, you're the night in, night out backup big. No. Yeah, no. that's so no. fair fear because there was somebody who was as bad as Deadman who was the backup center last night or last year. So we'll see if he has learned his lesson. From the Ghosts of Sixers pass. Yeah. Dwayne Dedman or DeAndre Jordan? Who you got? Uh I think I think Dwayne moves his feet better than DeAndre, so I'll go I'll go Dwayne. Yeah, I think I'll go Dwayne too. I mean I I think last year when DeAndre was playing, I was a little more like put my foot down, this is ridiculous. That said, I'm I'm pretty put my foot down, this is ridiculous. He he can't play too much, Dwayne Dedman. You said it. The Heat are in a playoff chase, and they have a two-way guy who's playing over him. Yeah. Because he's better. And they traded him just to duck the luxury tax. Okay, that's it. That's a nice positive note. Look, and that's what the Sixers deserve for that second half. It was like the the first half was generally pretty positive. Second half of this pod, Dwayne Dedman. (sighs) Yeah. I I would have liked Dwayne Dedman four years ago. Yeah. And, well, we saw uh, him. Not what? as much, not as much as Kings liked him because he became yeah. a bad contract right away. Dude hasn't been able to reliably shoot ever since then, which is amazing because he shot 37 in his two years in Atlanta, 37% from three on pretty good volume. And like I said, he's shot like 27% from three since then. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, and I think even his mid-range shot is down about 10% from where it was, which means that, like, you know, any of the floor spacing or any kind of, like, maybe stuff that he could give you attacking closeout is just gone because nobody's defending him out there. And he tries to force too much. Anyway, any other stray thoughts here before we get out of here? Like I said, another podcast here over the weekend. Mailbag questions. Send them to mailbag at sixersbeat.com. But... No. Not too many. The, uh... Sixers are the only game in town right now. So, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, man. We don't even need that. We don't need to talk about that, but that is enough. Hopefully, hopefully there starts to be a little I'm more. Honestly, interest. so like like I guess we're going. Um like that game hurt, but I I it didn't kill me like I thought it would. And I think in part that might be cuz the future is so optimistic. I'm talking about the Super Bowl now. And in part because we just got one 5 years ago. But usually, like, a game with that kind of lost opportunity and missed opportunity on that stage with those stakes, I think would have hurt me a little more than I was expecting. And I think it's in large part because I'm so optimistic about the future. But uh, that might just be a coping mechanism because the, the Philadelphia teams have gone, like, two for their last 14 in the, in the various championship games. So maybe I'm just figuring out ways to cope. I don't know. That game decimated me. Uh, <laughs> and I will say I was surprised it decimated me considering – yeah, that they, they won one a few years ago, and that was kind of my life's goal as a fan almost was to see the yeah. Eagles win one because every time they lost, you know, deep in the playoffs, I was like, oh, they're never going to win one. And, and it, it happened isn't. to be like during like the one year at the Athletic where you're covering the Eagles too, so you got yeah. to experience everything. And that isn't the case anymore, but man, I, I was surprised. That was an absolute gut punch. And I am optimistic about the future, but... I don't know. I, I don't want to hear we'll be back because no, it's so, you never know. It's so you never hard. Know. It's yeah, so it hard to get back. But it yeah, I, I am optimistic. I, I 
I love the quarterback. I love the roster, but it is going to be harder. And yeah, it was a nightmare. That said, uh, the weather being 65 degrees and, and having a couple Sixers games to <laughs> distract me was uh, was good. So It was certainly a gut punch. I think it just didn't linger quite as long as I, I, I would have expected. But anyway, we don't need to talk about more depressing. Is there anything else depressing that you'd like to bring up here to, to close this one out? No, that was the main thing. All right. Well, thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.